Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one. And now in the wings, where artists talk about their work and their journey toward performance. Tonight, writer Katie Honan and actors Jamie Beamish and Amelia Crowley talk about working on Katie's play Hurl, which took third place at the 2022 PJ O'Connor Awards. My name is Katie Honan. The name of the play is Hurl. Amelia Crowley. My name is Jamie Beamish and I play a couple of parts. I play the part of Noel O'Brien, star Hurler, and I also play Dino, who's a, a, a friend of Janet's. Hurl is about a mother and daughter relationship that is slightly strained. They don't have great communication skills and through connecting, through hurling, they manage to find a way to communicate with one another better. I play a few parts, but I play the part of Maggie, who is the mum of Janet. And I also play other parts. I play her friend. I play Janet's best friend, Ali. So the challenge, I suppose, is um, finding multiple Waterford accents within my um, range, which was a challenge. But it was, I think, well, we'll see. That's what's great about this play. And when I got it, I was kind of, oh, that's brilliant. You know, a Waterford story and hearing Waterford voices because we don't really hear them a lot. And, you know, when you think of plays and radio drama and everything like that, a lot of it, you know, could be Dublin centric or maybe the West or Cork and so on. And, you know, I'm from Waterford. It's a vibrant place and there's lots going on. So it's great to be able to do something in my own accent and even, you know, put on the accent even more. Where I got the idea for Hurl was that in my 20s, I started going to hurling matches for the first time and I was really taken aback by the whole culture and spectacle of the event. The travelling on the bus, the going to the pub beforehand and then, of course, the match itself. So kind of being a fly in the wall in my 20s, it felt like, was just something that inspired me to write the play. Do you know what? I, yeah, me, me uncle was a very good hurler and he used to bring me to Clay by Pitch. Della Salle was the club. And I went up for a little bit when I was about, you know, seven or eight. And you didn't have to wear a helmet at the time, but I was wearing a helmet. And other lads weren't. And I took it off and I got a smack of a hurley in the head. And I could feel my brain rattling against against the skull. And I'm, like, I'm not going back, you know. And that was it. And it's gas. And I follow hurling a lot. I'm a big fan. It was a great thing because I've lived in England for a long time. And it was a great time. And we've had great times. All the Waterford lads getting together, all the Waterford actors getting together and going watching hurling matches in a pub in Camden, in the Sheephaven Bay. And we, 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 we had great times. And the Waterford hurlers gave us great days out and stuff. So I love it. Playing it myself, though, oh, I'm, I'm, they're, they're, they're tough men. They're, they're hard men. A fair play to them. No, no hurlers uh, in my family. But my dad is a Clare man. So although the play is about Waterford hurling, he has a clear support coming from his end. <laughs> I used to play camogie 150 years ago and all I knew is I loved it. And then I went to the nuns in Rohini and then I started to play hockey, which is like hurling or camogie with all of the joy sucked out of it, basically, um, because you can't or you couldn't in those days lift your stick over your shoulder and you can't pick the ball up and you can't run with the ball and I thought geez what's the point of this so invariably my Monday mornings on the on the hockey pitch were just freezing my bits off and my hands going blue thinking oh god when will this be over but camogie I loved I love the pace but I love watching it even still I probably don't go to matches enough but I, I, I love it I get it I understand it but I think it's such an impressive game to watch yeah 
I've done a small bit of radio. I used to be a radio presenter in Waterford back in the day on WLR, you know, way, way back in the 90s when I was saving up money to go to drama school in England. I used to do the overnights on radio. So the graveyard shift. No one, they're automated now. But I used to be on back when it wasn't automated. And all you'd have is people, insomniacs or people working overnight in factories uh, ringing in and stuff. And that was, so that was my first experience on radio. I've done a couple of BBC dramas as well. But this is my first time doing an RT radio drama. So I'm really delighted because I still listen to RT radio. I've lived in England a long, long time now. I've listened to RT radio ever since I went away. So it's lovely now doing a bit of radio drama. This is my first radio place. So it's exciting to have my own piece that I have written. Um, and it's been a really enjoyable experience. I've mainly been in theatre throughout my career in Dublin and I have a very strong connection to Waterford. Um, so although I trained and lived in Dublin a very long time, it's a really nice opportunity for me to be able to return to my roots and write about my home, which I did in How to Fall Flat in Your Face, my debut play, and also here in Hurl. I read it a few times. I read the script a few times. So I'm understanding just what the story is and what's going on. And then I started to hone in on the characters that I knew I was going to play. And having played a Wexford character recently on stage, my challenge was to avoid kind of travelling to the Wexford County in this radio play. Years ago, I started going on stage in Waterford in amateur musicals. And there's a huge scene in Waterford, like that huge scene in Ireland, amateur musicals. And I went away then to drama school in London. I went to the Guildford School of Acton with the idea of, of getting into musicals and being in big musicals like Les Mis and Miss Saigon was on at the time. My first ever job was was dancing up the back of Pirates of Penzance with Sue Pollard playing the lead, you know, but from, from small acorns, as they say. But actually, I ended up not doing many musicals. I ended up in straight drama, a lot of Shakespeare, The Merchant of Venice and Midsummer Night's Dream. I played uh, Iago and Othello at the Globe. I had a great time doing that. I, I, I played in The Tempest in Cork as well, you know, in a Waterford accent as well, thank God. And a good fun. And then latterly then doing uh, TV and film, actually. Things have gone that way. Most recently, uh, a casting director said to me, oh, I, I haven't seen you in about 20 years. And I said, that's right, yeah. She looked and she said, I think you've grown into your face. <laughs> How to Fall Flat in Your Face is about a girl that falls flat on her face and ends up in a hospital corridor in London uh, waiting. And we see the unravelling of her mind to see how she came to be there in that moment and how she fell flat on her face. <laughs> I was talking about this recently. I went to Trinity College on an open day in fourth year, transition year, and our school wasn't really as exciting as they are nowadays. I think nowadays people go on trips and they do proper work experience, but we got to go into Trinity. And I heard about this actor training programme. And when I went home, that was all I could think of and talk of. And I think because it was an official kind of training ground that my parents felt more comfortable with the notion of if I get into that course, then pursuing a career wouldn't be as potentially traumatic or difficult but yeah so yeah that's where I trained it's now the Lear I think the programme is down in there My big break do you know what my big break was getting a job in the first place I think you know going way back I couldn't get a job out of drama school to save me life and I was singing in this little thing for no money in the Greenwich Theatre and Ian Talbot, who at the time ran the Open Air Theatre in Regent's Park, which is a brilliant theatre in London, was watching it and he offered me a job in the bar afterwards. And, and I went on and did that Pirates of Penzance and went on tour with it. So that was really my big break because I can really draw a line from everything from there, from that production of Pirates up to even now. 
I suppose in TV and film, a big break would have been Derry Girls, you know, which people still kind of talk to me about. And I was only in Lisbon recently and I got recognised in Lisbon for Derry Girls. It's crazy. And, I, and Bridgerton would have been a big one there recently. I got into the business when I was eight years old. I did my first play with a company called Little Red Kettle and then it just jumped off from there. Uh, I danced through my teens. I did musical theatre for a time and then I trained in the Lear Academy. I do come from a theatre family in that my dad runs a street theatre festival in Waterford called Waterford Spree. His name is TV Honan. He originally started Red Kettle with Jim Nolan and then went on to start Spree. And then I have a production mother, Liz Honan, a production manager mother, a producer, dramaturg sister, Laura Honan. So there's a few of us bouncing around in the industry for sure, but all in different jobs, which is probably a good thing. I went to Manor House School in Rohini for young ladies. <laughs> um, my very first play that I took part in there was Death for Salesman with uh, St. Paul's School in Rohini also. I just loved that. That was magical. But it was a great one to go in on. I mean, you know, Death of a Salesman, Arthur Mother. Yeah, I went in at the top. <laughs> Derry Girls is an amazing thing to be kind of part of. And it's one of those things, I pinch myself when I think about it, that you're in something that I think will kind of last the ages and something that's so beloved. On a job like that, we're all like a big family and the crack on it was unbelievable. The f- you know, trying to get through a scene was, was crazy. You know, you'd just be wetting yourself. Ian McElhenney is there w- with a Frankenstein mask on. You're going, oh, is this? It's not work. It's fun. And yet it is work. Yeah, and you pinch yourself to kind of go, God, this is me job. It's brilliant. Brilliant. I recently just finished Our Tethered Kin, which was a Broken Crow production. Our Tethered Kin was written by Ronan Fitzgibbon and we premiered in The Everyman. And then we went on to the Peacock in the Abbey. And it was a really interesting piece that combined song, movement and and a really interesting story, which looked at our shadow selves that follow us around, but are unseen. Uh, It tackled the light and dark within ourselves. And it was a very visual spectacle. And yeah, they're an amazing company to work for. And I just wrapped on that. I was in the Cavalcaders with the Druid Theatre Company. That again was daunting to me. We rehearsed in Dublin. We performed in Galway and travelled then around Ireland for a period of, I think, eight weeks. It was a really positive experience for me. Who we had in there was Garrett Lombard, Nisha Dunbar, Tiernan, Messet Green and Ailish McLaughlin. Ailish is um, Waterford herself so I was trying to channel my memories of Ailish. We, I got some great friends there through that experience. Aaron Monaghan directed it. He's a beautiful director. He really brought the play The Cavalcaders into this kind of new millennium. He kind of he found a, a new kind of honest and darkness to the play. It's great writing by Billy Roach. So it was all there, you know, getting to play in Wexford town with a Wexford accent was nerve wracking. But I got I got, you know, I was allowed out of there alive. So it went well. I didn't know he was in it. You know, I'm in that series. I'm in the third series. And it was so hush hush. I, I didn't I had a clue he was in it. So I'm watching it. On walks Liam Neeson and I went, oh, jeez, Liam is in it. And I know Liam. I did a movie with him and stuff. His family's actually from Waterford, but, you know, everyone's from Waterford in some way. And uh, I couldn't believe it. I went, there you go. God, if Derry Girls and Lisa McGee are able to get someone like that and they did some job of keeping it secret, even from the cast members. My writing day would be if I have a particular idea. A drafting process is really important on any play that I've written and aim to write. I have a dramaturg on board 
I think that outside eye is really important. I'm an early riser. I will do a 6am or I have the best ideas in the morning because the worries of the day have not yet come into my mind yet. So I write early and I kind of do a morning and an afternoon session, kind of like nine to five almost a little bit. That's just what works best for me. But definitely I'm someone that if I see something on the street, if I hear a piece of music, if I find something on the ground that I think is interesting and relating to something that I'm thinking about a story, I will keep it and that might spur an idea or a moment or a technical something that might be added to a script at a point. So I have a messy desktop sometimes on my computer of random pictures of things from somewhere and I pop them in a folder and they might connect with something that I have coming up so yes I kind of do a nine to five at the desk but also I'm kind of out in the world trying to pick what I can to make my stories come alive in a more visual way maybe they have different joys they bring different joys there's the live stage audience experience is it's it's heroin let's say that it's addictive it's it's magic and it's special and it's a shared moment and I think especially coming out of the COVID era to be back on stage and to have people close by and you can hear them laughing and feel them breathing in the, in the space in Galway it's stunning I, I even got a character's perfume because I thought people are going to be able to smell me I have to have an A&A fragrance this is the right perfume for this character and I got Elnet hairspray because I thought and I said if one person gets it and a friend of a friend said yeah my friend was there and she said she smelled an A&A and it reminds her of her aunties and I went yes it was worth it it was worth it yeah it was magic when Bridgerton came out, I ended up being the most hated man on the internet for about three months, the first three months of 2021. And I was called every name under the sun. Twitter was alive with people like hating on. It was crazy and it was kind of brilliant as well. Everyone loves a villain, don't they? Like, there's the boo hiss factor. And I, for years, have been playing kind of the happy singing Irishman, you know, and, and Kieran and Derry Girls is a kind of a lovable dope. But then suddenly this character comes along and I'm looking at it going, oh my God, I've never done anything like this before in my life. And it was brilliant. The funny thing, yeah, nowadays you audition and it's like self-tapes. And so I just taped, they sent me 13 pages, loads of it. They sent me it and I looked and oh God, as for an upper class English twit, I was going, God, they have real upper class English twits in England. So how am I going to get this? But I taped anyway, because you just do it and it's like a lottery, you throw it in. Then I got the gig, out of, like I, I think out of nowhere because like normally you do it, you might get a recall. There was no recall, it was just a straight offer. And I went to the read through and I remember sitting there and, and, and meeting the director who I'd never met before because I just taped and the producer. And they came over and said, you know, hi, how are you? How are things? And I said, oh, yeah, really good. Thanks very much for having me. I'm all nervous. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't believe it's brilliant script. It's all this. And they looked at me and went, where are you from? Because they didn't know I was Irish. Great compliment there. But I was really worried about getting sacked by the end of the read-through, you know. But no, I, I guess I got away with it, so it was great. The business has been good to me. I mean, you meet incredible people along the way and incredible friends. So I really like to kind of work in many different mediums. So the fact of being able to get into radio in this way and into writing is a really new lane for me. I've always loved kind of playing with different skills as in I like to do movement pieces, shows with song and now getting into writing and making my own work has very much been a trajectory that I wanted to get on and 
here I am writing this play and doing this radio play with RTE, which is very exciting. I loved being back on stage. I hadn't been on stage for 13 years. Um, some people said to me, oh, are, you, are you nervous about going back? And I was not. I was just wound up and ready to go. And under Aaron Monaghan's guidance, it was really a worthwhile experience. In terms of the convenience of having a family, I have a daughter who's 15, Esme, and a, a daughter, Rosalita, who's 10. So in terms of that, television seems to work because often they are day shoots here and there and the timing of it works well and the commitment. And if you're doing theatre and travelling, it's a lot. The past few years I've started writing and, you know, I, I, I'd written a couple of small plays. One person plays like Cat the Play and uh, Ghosting was was another play I did. And, and Cat had, had a nice bit of success. We were in Edinburgh with that and we, we played around Ireland and, and I had a few nights in the West End even. That was great. Ghosting then uh, was broadcast during the pandemic and ended up being picked up by the Irish Rep in New York, the Irish Repertory Theatre in New York, which was very exciting. And then my last writing gig kind of came out of nowhere. Um, I ended up writing the script for Ty Show the Musical and being in it as well at the same time. And you kind of go, Jesus, double bubble. But oh, we worked hard for that one. And it was an absolute adventure. Like it was it was kind of brilliant. And like I say, the other plays I'd done, there were like solo shows, one person shows there were far the actors in it. Suddenly I had I had a cast of, of 13 adults and 34 children. And it was it was unbelievable. And when they asked me to take over writing the script, I kind of went, oh, God, will I be able for it? I sure, you know, you have to jump in with both feet first. And I did. And it was it was a brilliant, brilliant experience. It, it was mad. And, and to be there at the kind of beginning of a brand new musical, a brand new Irish musical was phenomenal. And the gas thing was I got to the point in the last week of rehearsals and working on the script so much. And I was rehearsing my scenes that I'm in as well. But I realised I don't know my own lines. And I'd written every word. And I was just there going, but they're not in there. I have everyone else's lines in my head because I wrote them as well. And I was going, oh, I got a, got a bit of a fright, but we were all right in the end, yeah. Uh, I think they definitely are two different muscles. But getting your head into a character and thinking about all the nuances of what's going on within a character's psyche, I think very much exists in both writing and performing. And sometimes I do find it helpful that I can hear the rhythm of something in my head when I'm writing it on the page. But yeah, I 100% have the bug for writing in a sense of always as an actor, what I loved is the research part of something that was actually kind of my favourite part of the process. So it's kind of unsurprising to me that I'm really kind of like, ah, like really into writing at a really kind of deep level kind of quite quickly because... I kind of track back and go, yeah, you always liked the rehearsal room part the most or the research part the most. I was in Fair City. I was pregnant with my daughter, Esme, who is now 15. So then the second time I went back to be in Fair City was just pre-COVID. I was there for, I think, six months. That's all I ever did was six months each time I went in. As I played the character of Fiona Piggott, who was a weapon on a good day. Cat the play, it's about a guy who was in the original cast of Cats the Musical, and uh, he gets sacked on opening night. And this guy walks out in his cat costume and he tells the audience what happened. And there's songs in it that are supposedly from different Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals, but they were cut before the opening night, you know. So there's the donkey song from Jesus Christ Superstar, which, of course, doesn't exist. And it is that. It's a satirical kind of piece and, it, and it's it's dark, dark comedy and stuff. And at one point, we got a cease and desist letter from Andrew Lloyd Webber's liars to kind of say, you know, you can't be doing this because we are checking employment records to see if there was 
was a Dave that got sacked in 1981 and we sent them the script and said guys read it it's a work of fiction like that's the point you know and they were kind of going and all this and in the end they actually didn't have a legal leg to stand on because satire is satire and all the rest but it it was was squeaky bomb time there for a bit you know because they have they have a lot more money and a lot more liars than I do I haven't done much TV and film. I was in theatre from a young age and went kind of straight into that through the Lear and then coming out of the Lear. I have done small film things, you know, short film and some features also, but my main work has been in theatre and now writing. At the moment, I'm filming an episode of TV detective series with Jane Seymour called Harry Wilde. I think it was on it was on last year in Ireland and it airs also on the Acorn platform in the United States. And um, I just had my first day on set on Saturday. And I know this is nauseating, but every single person there is so lovely. (laughs) They really are. There's a really nice atmosphere on set there. There was Jane Seymour and Rowan Ned and Paul Tylak. And um, we were shooting out um, in Kilcullen, I think, up in the boonies in this beautiful old pub with this stunning view that you couldn't pay money for it was really yeah it was lovely Ghosting was about a girl who from Waterford living in London and her boyfriend her first boyfriend had ghosted her six years before and she hadn't seen him since or heard from him or anything like that and one night she wakes up and he's standing at the end of her bed in London and then her her alarm goes and she looks and she looks back and he's gone she thinks it's a dream but her uh, sister then texts her day and says that her ex-boyfriend had died two days ago and she goes right okay and she gets on the next plane back home to see him dead because she can't figure out whether he was really there or not and then it's all about her journey back home and why she hasn't been home in six years what is next for me is that i am going to london and i am starting a new writing project that i have been lucky enough to get arts council funding for and it is going to be inspired by a classic novel I can't say much more than that, I don't think, at this time. But essentially, I'm going in to do a writing project and going into residency also soon in Garshlane Arts Centre in Waterford. Yeah, um, in September 2021, I became the very first artist in residence in the Theatre Isle in Waterford, which was a great honour, a huge honour, because that's the, that's the theatre I started in 31 years ago. We're in 2023 now. So 31 years ago, I first went on stage there in a production of Chicago, an amateur production. And to be its first artist in residence all those years later was amazing. And the things I got to do there, which was a lot of work with young people, which I was originally going to be a a music teacher, not an actor. And then I did a bit of teaching and I wasn't very good at it. So I stopped and I went off to join the circus, like as, as we say. But coming back to Waterford and being the artist in residence and working with young people as I did there was revelatory, to be honest, you know. And young people now are kind of amazing. And it was transition year students and first year and second year students in Setu and the Southeastern Technical University, music students, drama students, all that kind of stuff. I don't think I'm a very good teacher, but I, I think I was able to kind of hopefully impart a bit of knowledge I've learned over the years to kind of go, there you go. And sometimes that's just in telling stories and people kind of hearing a bit about the experience of being an actor. And that, that was the great joy of doing that, of doing that residency. Well, I love Saoirse Ronan. I think she's just extraordinarily eloquent in whatever she chooses to do. She's got an incredible way of turning things. I have to say one of my favourite male actors in Ireland is Anthony Brophy, who happens to be my husband. So that's convenient. Um, and the play he was in recently down in uh, Wexford was called Lights Out by Hannah McNiven and also starred Sive Mallon. And it was just, uh, yeah, a really 
tight, intense piece of theatre and to be fair to Sive, she did a great job also. A particular acting performance that inspired me was Paul Reed in Man of Valor by Corn Exchange and it was staged a number of years ago. I had to have seen it almost 10 years ago but it's one of those stage moments that lives with you for a very long time that you can remember very specific moments and how it, how it made you feel and sometimes when I track back and go oh my god that was almost 10 years ago kind of shows the power of the piece and the skill in which it was performed. In 2007, I was doing Aikino, the Raikin musical in the Olympia in Dublin. And I felt uh, a small lump rubbing against uh, my collarbone. And I went about it and they thought it was probably not. And, you know, swollen lymph nodes happen all the time. But they said to keep an eye on it. And they did. And it turned out that it wasn't nothing. You know, it didn't go away. And when it was tested then, it turned out I had Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a cancer of the lymphatic system. So only far I went to the doctor about it. And they... they found it and I, I was staged at stage 2B which is early and they were happy with that and I went through uh, chemotherapy and stuff but I, I, I always kind of think going to the doctor in the first place and early enough really kind of saved me life and I went through chemotherapy that first time and went into remission two years later I relapsed now with Hodgkin's you'd be talking about there'd be an 80% 85% uh, success rate in first round chemotherapy I was just unlucky and so then I had a stem cell transplant in St. James's in Dublin and and everything was fine. And that was in 2009, so it was 14 years ago this year. And so I've been I, I've been in remission for 14 years. And they say when you get your five year legs, you know, you're kind of you're a happy bunny. And I certainly was when you get your 14 year legs, you're even you're even happier. And it's and, and the funny thing is recently, you know, with Thai show that was a big thing with Bridgerton with Derry Girls people are talking to me now and I get to do interviews and I get to talk about it and I don't mind talking about it because what it's about for me is to say my experience was going to the doctor early helped me and, and is the reason I'm still here and I think men and Irish men in particular don't go to the doctor you know what I mean they, they don't talk about their health they keep it in they say ah, I'll be grand nothing will be grand you know it's worth it just to go and even for your own frame of mind to go about it and that lump on me neck could have been nothing and would have gone away. It happens it ha- it frequently. I've had them since and they've been nothing. But that one time it was something and me going there and me getting it looked at and them, you know, them keeping an eye on me. Yeah, it saved me life. Absolutely. And look, you know, we all know when there's something a bit wrong. Yeah. And it's a whole thing of, kind of oh, no, I couldn't be bothered. I, 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 you know, leave it. I'll be grand. And, and you put it out of your head. And men don't talk to other men about their health either. That That's a thing. So they don't want to be seen as weak. But it's not being weak to kind of go and go, listen, I think something's up. A doctor will check you and kind of go, no, you're fine, but good thing you came in. No one's going to say, oh, you're wasting me time. That's not going to happen. And like you say, men of a certain age really should. And, and I was young at the time. I, I, I was 30. So like I, I, I was young, but still I just went, there's something wrong. And I, I just said, no, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check it out, whether it's because I'm an actor. I kind of, you know, listen to me body. I don't want that to be wrong. I have to get up on stage every night. I have to be able to do it, you know. It's like, and, and I, I equate it to being a sports person, a hurler, you know. They, they will know, they will do their training, they will keep their body in the best possible shape. I try a bit myself, you know, because being an actor, it's a physical job, you have to do it. And I think maybe that's why, but everyone should be like that, you know what I mean, just go. And there you heard the voices of writer Katie Honan and actors Jamie Beamish and Amelia Crowley.
talking about their journey towards performance and working on Katie's play Hurl, which took third place at the 2022 PJ O'Connor Awards. The producer of In the Wings is Kevin Reynolds. Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One.